If you have your Bibles, you can open up with me the book of Luke if you'd like to follow along today. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. Now verse 22 completes the thought of verse 21. So we need to back up just one verse and take a look at what Jesus is saying there. He says, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Now that's the New Living Translation. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a right relationship with God would be the ESV. We all have needs. And what Jesus is making very clear in this passage of Scripture that we read moments ago is that God intends to provide for our every single need that we have in life. And it begins with the provision of our spiritual need. We need a remedy to our sin problem and our rebellion against God. We enter the world that way. We enter the world as rebels against God. We enter the world sinners. We enter the world falling short of the mark. And we need remedy for that problem. We have a real spiritual need there. And we can do nothing for ourselves to provide for it. We are completely helpless. And God looked down upon our helplessness and He loves us. And He provided for us spiritually in His Son Jesus Christ who died on the cross a cruel, ugly, horrible death. And in so doing, He took upon Himself the payment, the price for our sinfulness. And if one person, if a person has faith in Jesus Christ for the payment of his sins and the provision for his spiritual need, God forgives us of our sins, holds them not against us, declares us to be in right standing with himself, makes us one of his children, and gives unto us his life. You know, we enter the world spiritually dead. And again and again in Scripture, we see God make clear His intention to give us His life. God did not come, Jesus did not come to die on the cross just to pay the penalty for our sins, but also to provide for us life. Because we needed more than just forgiveness. We needed to be raised from the dead. We needed life. You know, when Adam and Eve were walking in the garden before they sinned, they experienced the life of God. They their life was joined with Him and they were experiencing His life in them. Now that's an amazing thing to know that having had that experience, they then chose to rebel against God. But we as believers, all of us in life, now let me just say, let me start here, all of us in life were born separated from God and in need of that life again. Not just the forgiveness of our sins, but to be raised from the dead so we might experience that life that Adam and Eve had experienced in the garden before the fall. We need to be reconciled and made right again, raised from the dead. It's amazing that they sinned against God. It's amazing that we as Christians would ever sin against God and hurt the heart of God. But we're sinners. But we've been given this great opportunity to place our faith in Jesus and to be forgiven of our sin and be given the life of God. And let me tell you something before we move on in the rest of this passage of Scripture. That's the main need, that's the main point of what Jesus wants to make to us this morning. That He's providing for all of our needs, and it begins with that spiritual need for forgiveness of sins and the life of God. And what I mean by that life of God, and I just want to take a minute to explain this this morning, God did not come to give you strength so that you could live a better life. 
He did not come to give you strength so you could sin less. He did not come to give you strength so you might be a better person morally or just have a better character. God came to give you his life so that he might live his life in you. I've come to give them life, not just life, but abundant life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal what? Life. Life. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. Our life, what it is, is forgiven and then joined to God. We are joined to his life and he begins to live his life in us. He begins to live his life through us. We are completely dependent upon God for our life, that abundant life, that eternal life, that resurrected life. This is one of those points of theology. It's it's a transcendent kind of thing. It's You understand it, but you don't understand it. And it's a mystery, and it's wonderful to know that God is now living his life in me. I can depend on him. I can rest in him. I can experience him. He's given me life. We had a spiritual need, a need for spiritual life, and God has given us that in his son, Jesus Christ. And then Jesus talks about physical needs. We also have material needs, don't we? He was talking to a group of people. Their every moment of their life was about providing for their physical needs. Where is my next meal coming from? Where am I going to get clothes put on my back? Where am I going to find water? And how will I provide shelter for my family? And all of life was centered on providing those things. They were not working in order to save money to go on vacation. They were not working in order to buy a fancier car or bigger house. They were not working to buy Xboxes and PS4s. They were working to eat end of state they were working to see the needs of life provided and so they were spending a great deal of their energy a great deal of their time a great deal of their thought life was centered upon providing for our needs now jesus had provided for the spiritual need he was providing for their spiritual need yes but he says god is also going to provide for your physical needs a great promise here to us all of us throughout all of time that God is going to provide for our spiritual need in His Son, Jesus Christ, and He is going to provide from His hand for our physical needs. This is a great promise that we see here. And He will provide for our material needs. And He uses two illustrations here to make abundantly clear how thoroughly God will do this and how completely we might depend upon Him to provide for our material needs. He starts with this Illustration of the ravens, the birds of the air. The birds have no capacity to grow their own food. They have no possibility of storing what they'll need for the future. They are completely dependent upon God to feed them. In every way you can imagine, birds are dependent upon God. End of statement. They cannot grow. They cannot provide on their own. You say, well, they go out and they find that food. God provides them that food, brings that food to them. God cares for them. And he says, we're more valuable than ravens. We are more valuable than the birds. We have the capacity to know God. We are created in God's image. God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. Think about your value and think about the birds that Jesus provides for. And you can know God's going to provide for you because you are a so much more value and worth 
than the birds of the air. And then he moves on to the lilies. Lilies are beautiful. He says, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as one of these. Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, had the best of the, what the world had to offer as far as things were concerned. The most beautiful clothes any person ever put on their back, Solomon put on his back. And he said, even Solomon, arrayed in all of his splendor, had nothing compared to the lilies and what they were in the field. God provides for them this rich adornment and this great beauty to enjoy. The lilies of the valley have no capacity to make their own clothes. Lilies of the valley are like grass. They're here today, gone tomorrow. Their span of life, very short. Our span of life, eternal. We're going to be around for eternity. You're going to live forever. You may not live on this earth in your present state forever, but you can know this. You're going to live forever, either with Christ in eternity or separated from Him in hellfire, but you're going to live forever. You're going to exist forever. And you and I who exist forever, how much more valuable is our life in terms of what Christ has done for us and in terms of how long Christ has given us? How much more valuable are we than the ravens and the lilies. And if He provides for them, He will provide for us all that we need. Now, it's important here to understand the difference between a need and a want and the various applications of this passage for us today. Obviously, in this day and time, these folks never knew what it was to have an electric bill or a water bill, right? Or a mortgage, even, for most of them. Wouldn't understand that. Those are our needs today, aren't they? I mean, we have really different definitions or different way of talking about our needs, but we need shelter over our heads so we don't die of exposure. We need clothes on our back so we don't die of exposure. We need food in our belly so that we don't starve to death. We need water to drink so we don't die of thirst. We have the same needs that they had. They're just a little bit different in the way that we talk about them and a need is something that you cannot do without you must have it you must have food or you die you must have water or you die you must have clothes or you die you must have shelter or you die and we need to understand the difference between needs and wants a want is something you would like to have but is not absolutely necessary for life you may want to have a car to drive but you do not need a car to drive you may not Believe that, but that's absolutely true. There are a great many people who live without a car. They take the bus. You may want air conditioning, but you don't need air conditioning. Lots of folks lived before the time of air conditioning and did just fine without air conditioning. Some of you guys in this room remember those days. We want air conditioning. It is not a need of our life to have air conditioning. It just seems so in Texas in July, right? We may want a bed to sleep in, but we don't need a bed to sleep in. We could sleep anywhere, right? We could sleep on the floor. Maybe not as comfortably, but we could sleep there if we had to. There is a great difference between a need and a want. Jesus is speaking to our needs, the needs that we have in life, spiritually as well as physically. 
But one of the biggest differences between the audience of Jesus' day in the first century and the person in the 21st century is that the first century person was filled with anxiety and worry at the thought that their needs may not be met. The 21st century person is filled with anxiety that his or her wants may not be fulfilled. Now, a lot of our worry is about our wants. But also a great deal of our worry, just like the first century person, is still centered upon our needs as well. And Jesus did not want us weighed down by thoughts and concerns and worry for our needs. And he tells us in this passage of Scripture, don't be filled with anxiety. Don't worry about these things. Don't let these things consume you. Anxiety is a horrible thing, isn't it? It's a terrible thing. It's even a debilitating thing. Some of you guys in this room, some of us say, you know, really say, this is a point of struggle. This is a point of struggle for me in my life, is anxiety. I, I struggle with worry. I struggle with anxiety over or maybe anything and maybe everything. And as somebody said once, Anxiety is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. That's true. And if you struggle with anxiety and you feed that anxiety, it begins to consume your thoughts and begins to consume the whole of you so that you are focused upon your anxiety and those things you're worried may not be. And Jesus wants us to have freedom from that so that we can seek first our relationship with God and what is important to Him, what He's given us to do in the time He has given us on the earth. He says to us here that we are to be free from anxiety, not be concerned about these needs that we have. He says, don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your clothing. Don't worry about your shelter. You cannot add by worry any of these things to your life. Not even one minute of time could you add to your existence by worry. Now, again, we need to kind of back up and talk a little bit about application here, don't we? And the difference between need and worry. Jesus said he's going to provide shelter. Does that mean he's going to provide to everyone in this room a half-million-dollar home in Colleyville? No. That's not what this scripture promises here, right? Now, there's some out there that will preach that. There are those out there that will say, God intends for you to be happy, wealthy, and wise all the time. Maybe wise, but not happy and healthy all the time. Because in this world will come trouble, Jesus said. But take heart, I've overcome the world. We can be filled with joy, but not always happiness. We may have wealth, but not always have wealth. And if we have wealth and have things, there's purpose in it because God has called us to good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do, which means he's given us every resource that we need to accomplish those things. And for some of us, it's to have wealth so that we can bless and provide and give to others and be a blessing. That's not a need for all of us. So, well, I want that to be a need for me, right? I want that to be a need, but... You know, God chooses to get glory from us in the way He chooses to get glory from us. 
Standards of living are things that we need to pray about. We need to seek God for. God, what is a proper standard of living? Because here's what's happened in the United States. We have taken the gospel. We have co-opted the American dream and made it a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it is God's will for everyone to have certain things and a certain standard of living. And that is a need that we have now, which according to this passage, God promises to give us, right? That is not the gospel. There is no promise to a certain standard of living. And each and every one of us should pray and seek the Lord's face before we make major purposes and on how we spend our money that he has placed in our hand. Because here's the kicker, guys. It is not really our money. It belongs to him. He's given it to us. There's not one thing we have, not one dollar in our billfold, not one piece of thread of clothing on our back. There is not one pillow we'll lay our head upon or house we'll live in that is not from his hand in the first place. What we are to pray is, Lord, thank you so much for all that you've blessed me with. Thank you so much for all that you've given. Show me, Lord, what is the proper standard of living for my life and how much I'm supposed to give away and give back to your kingdom and give to you and what you're doing around the world, what you're doing around me. Lord, how much of this is mine to keep and use for my needs and how much of this is to give away? How much of this is to give? How much of this is to be in kingdom work that you have placed in my hands? See, when we're determining what is a need and what is a want, we determine that by the Holy Spirit. We determine that by seeking God. We determine that by going to God and say, Lord, what is right? What is a true need? There are rich people in the Bible. There are people who were wealthy in the Bible. Abraham was wealthy. Lot was wealthy. Joseph was wealthy. Again and again and again we see folks who were wealthy. Matthew was called to be an apostle. He was wealthy at the time. There are folks who have been given and been blessed with great wealth. Nothing wrong with having things as long as those things don't have you. And they are not your God and your idol. What we need to do is offer those things back to God. Give them up to Him and say, Lord, I depend on you to provide for my needs. And I say all this for this fact at this point in this sermon. There are a lot of folks who are experiencing anxiety and a lot of folks seeking God to provide for needs that are really not needs. They are just simply wants. You see, a lot of folks make major purchases of homes, cars, and other things without ever consulting God, without ever, ever going to ask God and saying, Lord, what is your heart on this matter? What do I really need and what do I really want? And they never went to God to seek his face for those things, and they made major purposes and got in real trouble financially. And they then go to God crying, God, you promised to provide for my needs. Here are my needs. I can't make my house payment. I can't pay my life bill. I can't provide for the needs of my children. What, Lord, what is wrong? Why are you not doing? Why are you not providing as you promised in Scripture? Jesus said, I'll provide for your needs. There are a lot of folks who sit in the church every Sunday or are filled with anxiety over basic necessities of life because they have confused what is necessary and what is a want, what is a need and what is a want. Living in houses that are too big, cars that are too new, too fancy, clothes that cost too much, eating out too often, spending money frivolously, not honoring God with their things, being poor stewards and managers of the things and monies that God has given them. They are sitting in pews every Sunday, filled with anxiety over whether or not they're going to be able to pay their next house payment or whether or not their car is going to be repossessed or whether they're going to provide the necessities of life for their kids. And it's all because they have confused need and want and they become anxiety-ridden 
In many cases, they become disillusioned because they've misunderstood the word of God at this point as they sit worrying and worrying and worrying over the necessities and needs of life which Christ has already promised God will provide for them. There's a story pastor that I know tells something he does in his family. He says, when a, when a trouble arises, when circumstances are, are tough, when things and the going seems tough, seems rough, and the family's kind of all in uproar about stuff, he said, there are times when I just do this. Times when I just do this. Hold up three fingers. I stop talking. I stop explaining. We stop discussing. I just hold up the three fingers. I got this. When daddy says, I got this, that's it. Everybody stops worrying. Daddy's going to handle this. They put their trust in daddy at that moment, right? Say, well, daddy's not infallible and daddy's not perfect and daddy can't handle anything and everything, right? But who can? Only Christ, only God. So we've got daddy who is under the lordship of Christ. Daddy who is the head of the household, head of the family. Daddy who is given the charge to be a protective covering over his wife and his children. He says, I got this. I'm under Christ. You're under me. I got this. We're going to be okay. Everyone can rest. Jesus is saying to us right here, I got this. He's saying, I've got the necessities of life. You seek me. You seek my heart for your life. You seek me. You seek my heart on how to be a good steward of the things I give you. And I'm going to make sure that all of your needs are provided for. I'll take care of everything. You don't have to worry about anything. We just have to choose to trust him and not be anxious. We have to choose in our heart to believe he's got this. He's got this. Because circumstances can paint a different picture. And life can be tough. Folks lose jobs. Unexpected expenses arise. He says, I got this. I got this. Be anxious in nothing but in everything by prayer and petition. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus Christ. Guard your heart, the seat of your emotions, your mind, the seat of your thoughts and intellect. God will cover and protect it all according to what Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 if you will take your need to Him. That's what He promises. You have a choice whether or not you're going to live in the middle of anxiety or whether you're going to give it up and give it over to God and trust that He's got this. And if you do that, and you free your mind from those things, you can genuinely seek first the kingdom of God, as he instructs us here. Seeking first the kingdom of God means living in right relationship with God and making a priority those things which are a priority to him. You see, we have better things to do than to sit around worrying about paying our bills. As believers in Christ, we have better things to do than to sit around and worry about how we're going to pay our bills. We only have so long here. We don't know how long that may be. Our concern is our relationship with God and what he's concerned about. 
what he's doing on the earth. Now, this applies to us personally, and it applies to us corporately. We can sit around worrying about the money, or we can be about the kingdom. And if we're about the kingdom and following after him, we can know he's going to take care of the money. I heard an evangelist say one time, the first century church, the church in the book of Acts, they prayed and the place was shaken. 21st century church pays and the place is taken. There's some truth in that, isn't there? Some of you say, I don't know what you just said. I'm just... First century church, look at Acts chapter 4. They prayed and the place was shaken. And the 21st century church pays and the place is taken. See, we're concerned about the place and we're concerned about the money and that's a side issue. Those are not things to be priorities. They're important, but they're not priorities. These are just things we trust. Jesus has got this. He's going to take care of things. Our concern corporately and our concern personally is the kingdom of God and our relationship with Him and being about what He's about. Where's God at work here in Bedford? Where's God at work here in the United States? Where's God at work here in the world? We're to join into that. That's to be our priority. How can we pray? Lord, what is your heart? For Bedford. How do we pray for Bedford? How do we pray for the lost people in Bedford? How do we pray for our sister churches in Bedford? How do we pray for our church family? How can we pray for one another? Lord, how can we minister to one another? How can we love one another? Lord, where do you have us to be at work in our Samaria? Where, Lord? Where where do we start a church? Where do we plant a church? Where do we pray for a people here in the United States? What about the ends of the earth? Lord, how can we be a part of what you're doing in the ends of the earth? Where are you at work? Show us. Open our eyes that we may join you there. That we might seek you first and your kingdom, your work. That we may be a part of what you're doing. And not just sit here in our little huddle worried about what color paint and how we're going to pay for it. For the walls in our Sunday school class. Listen. All of those things are important. The carpet's important. The paint's important. We don't want to just let things fall down around us, do we? But they're not a place of priority in our heart. They're not to be a place of priority in our mind. They're not to consume our feelings. They're not to consume our passions. They're not to consume our thinking. God is to consume our thinking. And His passions are to be our passions. And when we seek Christ first, when we seek God first, when we seek His kingdom, when we become about Him and we become about what He's doing, the Bible says here that we have our treasure in the right place. And we store up valuable things for ourselves in heaven. What does that mean? I have no real clue what that means, honestly. I don't know what that means. I know there's going to be blessing in heaven. There's going to be rewards in heaven. And it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be a wonderful time and a wonderful place in eternity. And every time that we choose to focus on our relationship with Christ, to participate with Him in what He's doing here on earth, and we join with Him in what He's doing, we're blessed here and now, and we're blessed in eternity. Maybe it's just we have more to glorify Him and more to speak and more to praise Him for when we get there. I don't know what all those rewards are. I just know there's treasure to be had. The word treasure means a place in which goods and precious things are collected or laid up. Where is your treasure? There your heart will be. 
Where are you laying up precious things? Is it in your bank account at Chase or is it in heaven? Jesus says, if you'll be about me and you'll be about what I'm doing, you lay up for your tre- your, yourself treasures and valuables and precious things there in heaven to and be enjoyed in eternity. Now, that's what the Word says. And we sit here today and say, okay, that's good. I don't need to worry. I need to trust God to provide for my needs. Maybe some of us here today said, I need to begin to pray about what my needs really are. Maybe I've been living more for my wants than my needs. Maybe I've not allowed God to have the whole of my life and there are things I'm holding back from Him. And inevitably, as a pastor, I'll have folks come to me and say, I want to start tithing. I literally cannot tithe. I literally cannot give to the church. I literally have no money. Every dime I have is spoken for every month. That's a hard thing when people come to you because there's only really one answer for that. Most people don't want to hear it. I say, you're living in a house too big, you're driving a car too new, and you need to get your life right. God came to meet your needs, not your every want. And there's things in your life that need to go away if you're going to live in His will. Now I know there are health and wealth and prosperity gospel folks, you can turn your TV on, who'll say that just the opposite of what I just said. Need to have more faith. You need to believe God more. You need to pray to God for that Cadillac. God's going to give you the Cadillac. You have enough faith. Listen, nowhere in Scripture does it say any such thing. What it does say is that God is going to provide for your needs. There may be some of us here today say, well, I need to begin to pray about what my needs really are. And some of you here today have been really worried. You're worried about what the future holds. You're worried about what the economy is going to do. You're worried about, you know, how you're going to, to, to pay all, all these bills that you have and all these take care of all these needs. And some of you, you got plenty that God has given you to provide for those needs right now, but you're worried all the time about whether you're going to have those things for the future, whether you're going to have enough for the future. You need to begin to just lay that down on the altar and trust God. Be about Him. Let go of the worry and make your priorities right. But having said all of that, having said all of this, I just want to close today with one more little word, one more little thing that I want to speak to you today. One little challenge I want you to walk away from here with, okay? That's basically this. At the end of the day, what is your life really about? What is it about? Day to day, moment by moment, what do you spend your time on? What do you think about? What are you focused on? You see, the most important thing about this passage of Scripture, the most important word in this passage, I believe is what Jesus says here to us is that we are to seek Him first, seek His kingdom, and that these are to be the priorities in our life. And that we should readily be able to say, honestly, for each one of us who are followers of Christ, the priority of my life is Jesus Christ. The priority of my life is Jesus Christ. The priority of my life is what He is about the business of doing. The priority of my life 
is what God has placed me here to do. All of these things are secondary. See, I want to challenge you with that this week, to think about that. Our priority is Christ. Now, you know, we're about to have kickoff Sunday. Let's talk about it in just terms corporately for just a minute. We're about to kick things off here. Going to have some new opportunities here for discipleship and outreach and ministry and mission. It's going to be wonderful. And we make a decision to be about, to be about a lot of things that don't matter or to be about the things that do. And our number one priority should be, Lord, how can we serve? How can we be a part of what you're doing? And so we pray about this. We look at this. We have new opportunities here that are coming out in the fall. And that's fantastic. That's wonderful. The church leadership here, I and the staff, we we come here and we we propose these things to us. We're going to have small groups we're going to be a part of and have new opportunities for discipleship. We're going to have every fifth Sunday, we're going to have that during that week, a ministry mission opportunity here locally. We're going to have mission trips next summer. We're going to have people groups we're involved with overseas. There are going to be new opportunities you're going to be hearing about. We... We as a people want to make our vision, want to make our life and make our life together as a fellowship of believers about what God is doing. Not just what we have here, but what God is doing in placing us here. What He's doing around us. And so we have a choice to, to change our thinking and make our thoughts about those things and make our life as a body of believer about those things. Or we fall into the trap, which so many fall into, that we become very inwardly focused and we're just focused on what we're doing in here every Sunday. And it's not a bad thing what we do here. We worship the Lord here. But we become very inwardly focused and we, we cease to be ministry, cease to be on mission. See, God has told us specifically in Ephesians 2.10 that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. He's given us two feet that work, two arms that work, and a mouth that can speak, and a brain that works. He has given us life here. He has placed us here with all of the resources we have for a purpose. And rather than just paying and taking, let's pray and shake the place. How about that? Let's be about the kingdom of God. Let's be about our God. Let's be about Christ. Let's be about what He's doing here. Because you know what? God's not finished here. God is not dead. God is not usurped by any government or any court or any people or any culture or any thoughts or anything. He is sovereign. He is Lord. He's at work among us. And just as it's been dark in times in the past, it's dark today, but there are people who are his remnant, who are filled with his light, who if will have faith and pray and seek his face and turn from their own sin and turn to him and seek first him, seek him first and seek his kingdom first, be a part of what he's doing in the world, you will see the place shaken. You see, the world's going to be shaken at some point. I believe that one way or the other. It might as well be shaken here first. It might as well be shaken in your heart first. It might as well be shaken in my heart first. It might as well start right here in Harwood Terrace Baptist Church. So here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do for application of this. We're going to pray. We're going to seek His face. Weekend of kickoff Sunday, we're going to fast and pray and seek God's face and seek to be consecrated, set apart for Him, for His work, His kingdom. We're going to pray. We're going to be a people of prayer. The opportunities to pray are going to be endless here at the church. More than you've ever seen. 
The call to fasting and prayer is going to be a regular thing where we will fast, pray, and seek His face. And seek not just His power so that we might do something. No, we seek His life lived in us and through us. I don't want to do it on my own. I don't want God just to make me better so I can do something. No. I want God to do it in me. And I want God to do it in us. And God to do it through us. I, I don't need just a little bit of God to do something with. I need all of God so He might do something in and through me. I need to be crucified with Christ so that I no longer live. He lives His life in me and through me. That's what I want. That's what we want. Amen? So we're going to pray. We're going to seek His face. We're going to fast, pray, and seek the face of God. And then we're going to study God's Word together. We're going to get involved, and we're going to encourage every person in this church, man, woman, and child in this church to be involved in Bible study. There are going to be new opportunities. We're going to have small groups that we're going to get together, and what we're going to do is we're going to study what I preach on Sunday morning. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about its application. We're going to go deeper in it. There are going to be opportunities after the worship service. There are going to be opportunities before the worship service. There are going to be opportunities during the week to be involved in small group study. We're going to study God's Word. We're going to pour ourselves over God's Word and ask God to pour Himself into us through His Holy Word every week. And then what we're going to do is we're going to be ready to serve. We're going to pray and say, God, where are you at work? And what is your heart? And what do you think about the things going on around us? And what do you think about Bedford and this world around us? And we're going to ask Him for open eyes and we're going to join Him there. Every fifth Sunday, we're going to come together as a church for local ministry. It's not the only time we're going to do ministry because every Wednesday night we're doing ESL. We're reaching out to the Muslims in this community. Yeah, there's a mosque up here. There's a mosque up here. Yeah, there, there are people from all over the world, all around us. And we're going to pray and we're going to seek to talk to them. We're going to pray and seek to win them to Christ, not just turn them over to the devil, right? All of these folks around us, wherever they're from, whatever religion they are, whatever their faith or not faith, no faith at all, we're going to seek them. Pray for them. Love them. All of them. But every fifth Sunday, we're going to come together for something specific. And we're going to reach out to this community. We're going to love them. Fifth Sunday in August, we're going to reach out to Shady Brook. And we're going to love that school like never before. And we're going to, we're going to gather up school supplies. We're going to go down there and give it to them. We're going to meet the parents. We're going to get involved in these folks' lives. I'm going to call on some of you seniors. The principals are begging us to send people down there to be readers with these kids. Just to sit down and read with them. So I'm going to encourage you senior adults that can do so during the week to do that. And we're going to reach out and love them any way we can. As we get to know these kids, we're going to know how to pray for them. We're going to reach out to their families. We're going to provide food for them. We're going to send food down there every week like we've been doing so we can send food home in their backpacks. We're going to reach out to these folks physically. We're going to reach out to these folks spiritually. We're going to pray heaven down on this community. And every fifth Sunday, they're going to see us soon something at work. The next fifth Sunday is going to be in November. The missions team and I are going to talk about how we can bless from there. And the mission team is going to lead us in from there forward. And we're going to see God do great things every time. We're going to continue to plant churches. And next year we're going to take another trip up to the northeast. And we're going to plant another church up there. And this time is going to be a lot different than last time in that we're going to be much more involved than ever before. We're going to send those folks money. We're going to sacrificially give for them. We're going to pray for them and pray over them. We're going to meet with them. We're going to have them involved in our service. We're going to find out specific ways we can pray for them. We're going to take folks up there and we're going to help them. We're going to work hard to help them in any way that we possibly can of these next And you know what else we're going to do? We're going to adopt a people group or two and minister to them to the ends of the earth. Do you know there are a group of people called the Alawite people who live in Syria and Turkey right now? 
And, and there's a great revival going on among them in Syria. And when they become saved, they know their life is short because they're sure to be put to death by those who live around them. But there's a great revival going on there. And these folks are leaving Syria because they can't stay there because Syria is falling apart in civil war. And they're, they're crossing the border into Jordan, into refugee camps with nothing but the clothes on their back. And you know what God has opened up? He has opened up a road. I, I, I have been somehow God, and this is, this is what we do. We say, God, where are you at work? Well, here's how God's at work. God has led me as your pastor to be in contact with those who have contact with these people there. And, and we can know what their needs are. And I can come here to you and say, look, we've got 75 families who have no clothes for the winter. And we need to help them. We need to provide for them. We need your old coats from your closet. We need whatever you want to buy at Walmart. It doesn't matter. These folks, folks aren't picky about the color. They just need something to wear on their back. And then we can say, hey, we know these families and these folks over there and we know how to pray for them. Because God brings those needs to us and we can pray over them and pray for them. Some of these folks will have an opportunity to come over into this country. We are about to have, we're about to be inundated with thousands of people in the Metroplex who are refugees coming over into, into the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex who will have nothing when they get here. Most of them spiritually have nothing. And all of them have nothing physically. And we have the opportunity to pray for them. We have the opportunity to, to reach out to them. We have the opportunity to provide needs for them. What does it mean to seek God first? It means to have a relationship with Him and make Him the priority in our life and to love Him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And what does it mean to seek His kingdom first for the time we have on this earth? It means being concerned about the heart of God and the things that are close to His heart that we may join with Him in the work that He's doing around us. And that's what we'll do. And that's the vision for this upcoming year. That's what Kickoff Sunday is about. That's where we're going, folks. That's where God is taking us. I believe that with all of my heart. And now I look to you. I look to you to pray, seek His face, and ask God if that's true and what parts you can play in it. You know, I'm excited. I'm excited about things. I'm excited about what God is doing. I, I'm not pessimistic. I'm not negative. I'm not looking at things around me in this world today and saying, woe is me. It's tempting to do that, isn't it? It's tempting to say, you know, this is just just a mess. The whole world's a mess. Our country's a mess. Our whole political system is a mess. The church seems to be really a mess right now. It's really easy to sit and badmouth the bride of Christ and the country that we live in and the world that we find ourselves in in the 21st century. It's easy to do that because circumstances will give you every reason to do so. But what God says is that if we will have faith, we'll see something different. If you have faith, you'll see something different. Now, I as your pastor, I choose to have faith. I choose to be strong and courageous in the Lord. I choose to have faith. I choose to be strong and courageous in the Lord. I choose to believe in Him and trust in Him because I know that He exists and I know He rewards those who seek Him. I choose to ask the Lord, Lord, where is your heart on this matter? How do you feel? What do you think? And how can I join you? I, as your pastor, choose that. 
Will you choose in your life personally to do that? And will you choose to join with me as a church family to do that? Will you do that this fall? I believe that this is the defining moment among defining moments in the history of Harwood Terrace Baptist Church. I believe that this is the defining moment for us. We've been around 50 years. We've had our ups and downs. We've got a wonderful fellowship unified in Christ right now. And I believe that this is the defining moment for us of defining moments. I believe that this is maybe even more of a defining moment than when we planted this church here 50 years ago. Because now we choose where we are to go from this time forward in these days which are very dark before us. And so the choice is ours together where we have faith in Christ. But I, as your pastor, will say that to you. I choose to have faith. I choose to believe Him for His life. I choose to follow Him strong and courageous in the Lord, not in myself. Now, if you choose to do that, would you stand up now? Would you stand up where you are? If you don't, then just sit down. If you're unsure, stay your seat. But if you choose that, will you stand up? Will you stand up where you are right now if you choose that? I choose faith in Christ. I choose to be strong and courageous in the Lord. I choose His heart. Let's pray.